Hey, it's Barbara Phillips with NPBO, and I wanted to give you a heads up on a webinar that we have coming up Thursday, May 16th, and it will be with a certified healthcare privacy person who has been in charge of a very large healthcare organization and their privacy compliance, HIPAA, and all of that sort of thing. And I think it's very important that all clinicians attend this one because HIPAA affects all of us. And so you can get more information about that at npbusiness.org forward slash privacy matters. And just another quick heads up after that, in June, we'll be talking with someone who has been in charge of the IT compliance to protect the organization. And so this one will be geared toward how do you protect yourself as well as your practice. And I'll be sharing more information about that later. So let's move on with the podcast. Today, we're talking about closing your practice on the NP Business Matters podcast, episode number 35. and welcome to the NP Business Matters podcast. I'm your host, Barbara C. Phillips, founder of Nurse Practitioner Business Owner and the Clinician Business Institute. And since 2007, we've been providing education, resources, and support about the business of being a nurse practitioner. And you can learn more by visiting npbusiness.com and cliniciansinessinstitute.com. So today I'm talking about closing your nurse practitioner practice. And perhaps that sounds really weird to you since I'm the one that teaches you how to start a practice, how to get it operating smoothly, and then how to grow that practice. However, there are a lot of reasons someone may want or even need to close that practice, which I'll mention in a bit. And this is a question that we've received multiple times over the years, so it's really time to talk about it more. It can be a complex subject. There are a lot of variables, depending on where you are, what you're doing, that sort of thing. But let's take a look at this from a 10,000-foot view level. So closing that practice that you worked so hard to bring it to fruition. Now, closing a practice can be just as intense as when you're opening a practice, maybe a little bit less, but there is still a lot of considerations. There's a lot of legal and regulatory issues that you want to be aware of. But why do people want to close a practice? Well, there's a lot of reasons. that The practice may have a change in ownership. Perhaps somebody has sold it or... Maybe they're even retiring and having a child take over that practice. Maybe illness is involved and someone cannot continue to work. Maybe that practice is just not working out for them. Perhaps they're moving away to another state, another city, and maybe they're just tired and burned out. Of course, plans can simply change for themselves and or their families, Maybe something else has come up. It's not uncommon for people to decide at some point in their life that, nope, they want to do something completely different or even take the family traveling for the year. 
Closing a practice, regardless of the reason, is far more involved than just pulling the blinds, shutting the door, and riding off into the sunset. Although we'd like it to be that easy, it's not. And it really has to start with a plan. Ideally, that exit plan, as I call it, will begin when you are first starting out. In fact, in the NPBO practice startup system, one of the first things that I teach is what I call the PPFM analysis. And this is basically where you're taking a look at you, your goals, your family goals, your personal and professional resilience and resources, in addition to the financial and market analysis that you need to be doing. And within your goals is, you guessed it, your exit plan. So just like starting a business and having a plan, you'll want to plan for the close of your business as well. Now, oftentimes when we're first starting, we don't really know why we might be closing a plan, but you need to put things into place so that it'll be easier. And as I alluded to previously, there's a lot of moving parts. So this is not a linear step-by-step process. First, and I think one of the most important things to research is your state rules and regulations for practice closure. And often there are some. It may be within your business rules and regulations for shutting down a corporation, and that will most likely be with your Secretary of State. Or you may even find it in your state regulations about what you need to do to close the practice. Now, one of the things that I've noticed over the years is that for physicians, often their state medical associations and sometimes their boards will offer guidance on this issue as well. For example, the North Carolina Medical Board has published a document on practice closure as well as the Texas Board of Medicine. Well, what about NPs? Well, I'm not aware of any boards of nursing who are involved in NP businesses at all. Usually their role is limited to the protection of the healthcare consumer, not us and and not what we're doing. But it's always best to check because those things have changed. And certainly if you're in one of those states where the medical board has published something, it's really not going to be that much different for you. So you may want to look at that. Now, your practice specialty may also offer some guidance on practice closure, especially about proper notification of patients. So you'll want to look at that as well. So I think with the things I'm going to discuss today and the other resources that are available to you, you can likely find a lot of information that you need. Now, when we talk about your corporate structure... And I'm assuming that you do have some sort of a corporate structure, an LLC, a PC, a PLLC, a partnership, whatever it may be. You need to look at dissolving that corporation. What documents need to be filed? Are there separation agreements that need to be made between partners? An attorney here might be helpful, and so you may want to engage someone. Now, what about your staff? Once you've determined that closure date and you know what you're doing with your corporate structure, you need to talk to your staff first. You want to avoid any rumors, any panic, or even a mass exodus. Realize, of course, that staff is going to be anxious about this. They're going to be wondering, what am I going to do? I'm not going to have a job. What about pay? All of those things. So talk with them first. 
and be prepared to answer their questions and concerns as best you can as they come up. You want to give your staff at least two to three months notice, and you may need to be prepared to hire temporary staff as some of them immediately will start looking for other jobs. You'll want to be able to address issues on compensation, which may include bonuses, severance, that sort of thing. And if possible, if you can arrange it, you want to stage the departures to help make for a smooth transition. And of course, make sure that any paperwork that needs to be completed is done for things such as unemployment with your state unemployment office, and your payroll services may be able to help you in this. So what about your patients? Obviously, this is important. They're going to have a lot of questions. And just like your staff and other associates, there's going to be a sense of loss and confusion and grief. One of the most common notification timelines that I was able to find was 60 to 90 days ahead of closure to notify your patients. But follow your state rules on this because there may be some differences here. Your notices in most cases need to be a certified letter and you want a returned receipt. You can also do this in-person notification, again, documenting that this has been done. You'll also want things like a sign in the office, website notices, maybe even in your social media. If you happen to send a newsletter to your patients, then you'll want to give notice in there as well. And for the public, for the rest of the community, you may need to put something in the local newspaper. The notices that you send out, you may want to include an authorization for the transfer of records to a new provider if they do know who they want to see. Make sure, again, that everything is documented in the records. And you may even want to take a copy of the letter and the return receipt and place it in the chart, or obviously in electronic records, you're going to scan it and attach it to the chart. Of course, there may be some patients that are going to need assistance in moving forward. It does help to have a list of providers that are accepting new patients in your community, because oftentimes what happens, and I noticed this was an issue for me when I moved from Washington to Missouri, People were panicking about who were they going to see, who's going to accept their insurance, nobody's taking new patients, that sort of thing. And of course, I did the work ahead of time, so I did have a list of providers that people would be able to see. The other thing is, too, oftentimes insurance companies may also be able to help them find someone else in their community. In fact, one of the th the things that I just received, not from my insurance, but uh, just yesterday as I'm recording this, I had a notice that a provider I was seeing was leaving the larger practice and that these other providers were available for me to just transfer my care over to. You want to also take a look at your scheduling. If you have people coming in for new appointments, 
maybe you want to get them referred over to another office. In fact, at some point here, really within a couple of months of closure, you perhaps you want to stop taking new patients. And if you have those patients that are complex, they need a lot of follow-up, you want to get them referred out sooner than later so that if anything does come up, you want to be able to have that provider call you before you are gone from the scene. Now, what about your third-party payers? Obviously, you need to be taking a look at your contracts. That's really important because within your contracts, there will be requirements for notification that you are closing your account, that you are not taking new patients, that you are canceling that contract. So you you want to read in depth to see what is required of you as you make this move. Now, some of you may have capitated accounts, so you need to be particularly aware of any potential issues. With a capitated account, oftentimes you get paid to see that patient up front, and if you're closing mid-month, there may be some issues with payment or payback or other contractual obligations, so you want to make sure that you pay attention to that. It's really important I've always felt, no matter who I was dealing with in terms of third-party payers, is anything that you do or speak or talk, follow it up in writing and make sure that I have confirmation in writing as well. So document, again, who you've talked to, what the plan is, and make sure that you keep a copy of that. It's also important to be prepared to give an affording address or even affording bank account if you're changing bank accounts because oftentimes payments will still come in after you have closed your practice. But then too, be aware that they also want that in case they want to recoup some of your money. And kind of a side note to that, if you don't understand the ERISA, E-R-I-S-A, I want you to watch Don Self on his website, donself.com, or on his YouTube channel where he talks about this. And if you were lucky enough to be on the webinar and have access to that replay that we did with him on ERISA, you can view that and learn how you can prevent recoupment potentially, depending on the type of account and and that sort of thing. So I highly recommend that you go back and take a look at that or look up Dunself at Dunself.com. So what about billing and accounts receivable? It's important that your billing team, whoever that may be, yourself, a staff member, or perhaps you have a company that does your billing, get them cracking on the accounts receivable because you want to get those down as far as possible before you close. And if you're not sure what accounts receivable are, that is the money that is owed to you for the work you have already done. And usually it's in a 30, 60, 90, maybe even 120 day bucket. And you want to get those closed down and get that money into your bank account as soon as possible. You may want to consider Keeping your billing staff or the company that you're working with working for a set amount of time after you close your doors so that they can continue collecting any outstanding payments or taking care of denials or anything like that. It's not a bad idea to consider working with a collection agencies for those balances that you've been unable to collect on. 
we should be doing that anyway. But as you close, you may find that it's a little more difficult to collect money because sometimes, unfortunately, people think that you've already closed. I don't need to pay. I've used collection agencies myself in the past and was surprised to receive money on account even a few years later. Now, when we talk about records, we're talking about more than just the medical record. There are financial records that can include your business accounts, tax returns, payable invoices, business investments, and more. There's also personnel files that include payroll, taxes, workforce training documentation for things such as OSHA and HIPAA, unemployment records, workers' compensation, termination records, and a lot more. Other practice records can include the HIPAA and other complaints, contracts, and that sort of thing. And of course, we have the medical records. Now, there are state and federal regulations regarding how long to keep records, and it depends on the type of records, as well as the state in which the record is kept. One of the first things to consider is going to be who is going to be the custodian of the records? Who is going to safeguard those records and process any requests for medical records or other records that are here. And most often when we're talking about a custodian of record, we're talking about your medical records, but it also can be your other financial records that we spoke about. And it may be you want someone to handle your medical records and perhaps you'll handle your other records. So who can be your custodian? Well, it can be anybody. It can be a colleague who is going to keep those records in their office, or perhaps they have the same system and they have a a way to access your medical records. You may engage a service that manages medical records. You want to make sure that you have all those written agreements that you need regarding HIPAA, that sort of thing, but also regarding the length of time that the records are going to be held arrangements to transfer records, and guaranteed access for the practice in case there is liability claims or other requirements that come up. Many people want to act as their own custodian of records. So you'll need to be able to store the paper or digital files in a safe place. And of course, that has to still meet HIPAA requirements. I've seen a lot of people suggest just using Dropbox or Box or something similar. However, when people talk about that, you need to be aware that there is Dropbox and then there is a Dropbox that is HIPAA compliant. Those are two separate types of accounts. And of course, if you're using Google and Google Docs to store your account, as long as you have Google Suite, that's the one you pay for, that also is HIPAA compliant. Making sure that your documents are HIPAA compliant and are safe are so important. A few years ago, I heard a story about a physician who decided to close their practice, and I believe this was in Oregon and decided to keep their documents on a laptop and had another physician become the custodian of record. That physician kept the laptop in her house and she had gone on vacation for several weeks and when she returned, found her house had been broken into and that laptop was stolen. 
therefore you have a data breach. You have privacy breaches. So then you have to go into all of those kinds of things. So it's really important to make sure that your records are safeguarded in any way that you can do that. And of course, at the time I'm recording this, we know that as time goes on, there's going to be more resources available for storage. You want to have a process in place for records to be requested. And we're certainly used to receiving requests for records either in the mail or via fax. And even though your office is closing down, you can get a P.O. box for this or you can also pick up a fax line. And if you're hooked in with Doximity, and I'll leave a link to that in the show notes, you can get a free fax line for healthcare providers with Doximity and it's HIPAA compliant. So that's always nice as well. Oftentimes your malpractice carrier will also want to know where and how your records are being stored, uh, who's the custodian, and how to access information if they need to. And it's also a really good suggestion, I think, to work with your CPA regarding closing out practice records when the time is appropriate. What about professional issues? Well, if you're retiring or otherwise unable to work, you may want to find out what type of inactive licensure that you can obtain that may relieve you of having to complete all those requirements for renewals. If you have a federal DEA license or other state-controlled substance license, you'll need to notify them. If you are not going to be using that license, you want that number to be removed from the system to prevent further use. And of course, with your malpractice, one of the things that you'll want to take a look at is, are you going to need tail coverage? Hopefully you've had an occurrence type of policy so that that plan will always be in effect even years later in terms of that tail. Otherwise, if it's a claims made policy, you're going to need to have tail coverage. There's a lot of other notifications that should happen, and that will include referring providers, people who've been referring to your office, other healthcare facilities, laboratories, imaging centers, social service agencies, home health agencies, and the like. You also will want to notify vendors who service your office, such as the folks that do medical waste or housekeeping or IT or a shredding service, whatever it is that you have. And pharmaceutical reps, let's not forget them. Let them know that you're closing. If you have samples in the office, you'll need to be able to destroy those and any other medications that you have in your office according to your guidelines. Of course, things like subscriptions, mail service, phone service, all need to be adjusted with either forwarding information or just closure information. You know, every practice is a bit different and thus... It may be that some of the requirements that you're going to have, I haven't even begun to mention. And some of the ones I have, maybe it doesn't apply to you. So keep that in mind as you're making up your plan to close your practice. I hope that you have found this information helpful. And if you haven't made a plan to close your practice, even if 
you're not there yet, go back and begin to make that plan and put some of these things into place. And if you have any questions about this, please leave them in the comments on our blog at npbusiness.com forward slash close. I want to thank you so much for taking your time to listen to us today, for rating our podcast, and for sharing our podcast, because there are so many of us now that are in business and need this information. I'm Barbara C. Phillips, nurse practitioner and founder of Nurse Practitioner Business Owner, and I look forward to seeing you in the next episode of the NP Business Matters podcast. Bye-bye now.